Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount Plus. Paramount Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation. Welcome to Lake Kick is Live. It is Sunday night, February 14th. Happy Valentine's Day in the year of our Lord, 2021. We're jam-packed. Winter storm not keeping us off air. It could, however, keep us from getting out of here. More on that in just a second. I was watching a movie, actually, the other night. It's on Amazon right now. It's called Shackleton's Captain. Fascinating kind of movie slash documentary about this crew in the early 1900s that gets stranded in Antarctica. And I bring that up only because a quick peek outside of the window right now looks about like what they dealt with when they were stranded in Antarctica. So I don't know, Colin and I have the dog sleds all teed up. We're ready to go. If food runs short, we may have a difficult decision to make in the parking lot, but here we are. Nevertheless, I don't know what Thursday is going to look like. We got terrible weather all week here in Nashville. So we plan on being here live Thursday. However, we have also tossed around some ideas. Mm, I guess I can kind of share them with you right now. They're not certain, so it's just an idea. But, you know, we do the Late Kick Extra podcast, Tuesday morning, Thursday morning. It's all mailbag. And so I've been toying around for a little while now with the concept of what we could do to make that into a video product every now and then if we hit certain benchmarks. So I've got some ideas. So let's just try this out because it worked when we were trying to get to a thousand five-star reviews. It worked just like that. So I look at my Twitter account right now. Let's just say... When it gets to 13,000 followers, we're going to do something really fun. It's going to be extremely interactive, about as interactive as we can possibly get without you coming over to my apartment. And if legal would let me do that, I'd probably do that too because it gets lonely up here. Let's just say when when the 13,000 followers benchmark gets passed on Twitter, we're going to do something really fun with that. But as for tonight, we've got the Arkansas and Florida State Mood Trackers. I got to talk about something that I don't think we've spoken about on Late Kick, either the pod or the YouTube show yet, and that is... This entire dead period situation, I don't go into the extreme weeds of recruiting a lot of times because some of you are hardcore recruiting fans and you care about it. Many more are casual fans. Wake me up on signing day. Let me know who signed with my team, etc. But this stuff matters. It matters a lot. Uh, There are varying opinions, wildly varying opinions on it. So I'm going to get to that in just a second, actually. I'm going to kick it off. And also, as I looked over 2020, and I continue to do it more and more, I really think we've been fooled potentially by many programs, and I'm going to tell you more about what I think there because I have been getting feedback from a lot of you, especially Penn State fans and outsiders looking at Penn State or LSU or all kinds of programs, and I think that we've forgotten the last several years leading up to 2020, and 2020 has just like replaced your entire your entire idea behind what a program is, what a head coach is, and I don't know about that. So we're going to talk about that and more tonight. Uh, remember, subscribe to the 24-7 Sports YouTube channel if you haven't already. And a lot of you also have noticed these pretty new graphics we have and Director Collins' vocals and the new entrance music. And so um, we're doing a lot of things here. As I told you the other night, uh, you've given us a lot of traction. A lot of people have taken notice. So we've got an entire team way away from us up in Connecticut, probably similar weather, but um, they're pulling the strings and pressing the buttons on a lot of new ideas up there. We're tinkering with things, we're mixing, we're matching. And so a lot of really talented people have their hands on the wheel there. 
we'll have new things come and go. I mean, already you can see some things that look different this week or this uh, show than they did last show. So give us some time on that. Appreciate your feedback. I got a lot of emails and a lot of DMs from you on the show. It was like 98% positive last week or last show we had. So I thank you as always for that because as always, it is your show. So let's dive into this thing tonight. The recruiting dead period. What is a dead period? Well, it just means essentially nothing can really be happening. There are no visits, uh, coaches going to your school, you coming to that school. There's nothing happening, really. Everything's been shut down now, obviously, for, for about a year. I mean, we're coming up on close to a year since everything's been shut down. There are no camps. Uh, there are no visits. If I'm a prospective athlete, I'm not going to Georgia and Georgia can't come look at me. All that stuff's been in place. We all understand why it's been in place. Right now, and here's the latest, and here's why I wanted to talk about this tonight. The D1, sort of the Football Oversight Committee. It's a lot more complex than just saying the NCAA, which I did last night, and I'll get to that in a second. But the Football Oversight Committee, essentially it's a lot of presidents, uh, overseers basically, people who the NCAA works for. Uh, they have recommended, and I expect the NCAA shortly to follow through on this, extending the dead period through the end of May, through May 31st. That's a little ways away. So we got all of March, all of April, all of May. And so I expect that to pass. Last night, I tweeted out a sentiment, a very general sentiment. And I said, I think it's been embarrassing how the NCAA has handled this entire dead period. And they just kind of, it's like kicking a can down the road. There's very little pragmatism behind it. Well, I used, I did something that I kind of get tired of other people doing. So let me backtrack a little bit on that. When I say NCAA, it's kind of this all-encompassing, you know, everyone throws their rocks at the NCAA. Well, in this case, some of you spoke up and you were right. You know, my sentiment still stands, but you were right in saying, maybe take that laser and maybe direct it at where it needs to be directed at. And that's university presidents, because largely it's what they're saying that's just getting rubber stamped by the NCAA. Point taken, point seated. Now, let's direct our ire, or my ire at least, where it belongs. You can decide what you think about this, but I just want to frame all this against the backdrop that was provided to us from Nick Saban when we had him on this show two weeks ago, about a week and a half, two weeks ago now, National Signing Day, and we were talking to him about recruiting, about National Signing Day, and about the 2021 class, how hard had it been? And he kind of threw us a little bit of curveball, and he, he didn't say it had been easy, but he said the 2021 class was okay because we already had evaluations on a lot of guys. It's the 2022 class. So in other words, the guys who are going to be seniors this upcoming fall, it's that one that we may be a little bit behind on. That's the head coach at Alabama talking. So Ryan Day, Nick Saban, Debo Swinney, those guys feel that way. Now I want you to think about what it's like if you're not a uh, top 247 style, four or five star player, I want you to think about what it's like if if you're going to be a guy who's borderline to get that FBS offer or an FCS offer, and there aren't dozens or hundreds of those guys out there. There are thousands of those guys out there in any given cycle. So my stance is this. And again, you can tell me how you feel in the comments. A lot of you have been very vocal about this. I think it's just laughable to suggest that at this stage now, we aren't entering this. We've kind of got the lay of the land. We just had an entire college football season. A lot of you had entire high school football seasons. A lot of you are attending camps right now. I think it's laughable, myself, to suggest that you couldn't safely have recruits able to visit college campuses and you couldn't safely get college coaches out on the road, again, safely, going through all the proper precautions to visit high schools. I think that's laughable, okay? That's my personal stance. Whichever entity standing in the way of it, NCAA, NCAA Oversight Committee, FBS Oversight Committee, presidents, whatever the case, I think it's laughable, okay? So again, you're going to have the four and five star crowd 
they're going to get their offers regardless. Their film will get out. There will be um, there will be adequate evaluations on those kids where their offer list will probably look the same. I'm not talking about the dozens to hundreds. I'm talking about the hundreds to thousands that don't fit that description. Okay. Instead of talking about Wisconsin, let's talk about maybe a guy who could go to Wisconsin Whitewater. You know, let's just separate it like that. Or or instead of a guy going to Michigan, maybe a guy who is more an Eastern Michigan, Central Michigan caliber player. Two years now. If you're a rising senior, if you're class of 2022, you are starting to enter a stretch where you've gone now two years of missed camp opportunities, two years of missed in-person evaluation where that coaching staff can get their eyeballs on you. And you've got two years now potentially of visits that have been missed. And by the way, just because we're talking about May 31st being that line of demarcation, and it is assumed, and I do assume this too, it is assumed that in June and July we'll start to get visits again. I assume that. That's not a certainty yet. And even if it is a certainty, it, it's no guarantee that every kid's just going to magically be able to get out on the road and afford to go take unofficials or officials because then you've got a lot of stuff coming up with your own high school football season. Your official visit window is going to be very truncated. Also, you've got to take into account whether programs that you previously would have had an opportunity to get in front of, there just isn't time to get in front of all of them. All of this stuff is in play. And so here's what I get back. Because all I'm asking for is pragmatism. That's all I'm asking someone, give me pragmatic reasons why we cannot get creative. And I don't even think you have to be too creative to safely allow this stuff to happen at this point. And so I start to get some feedback on this. And a lot of the feedback I get is just, it's just like hyperbolic. There's not really any meat on the bone. So some of the, some of the feedback that I've gotten on this is, well, those are the rules. And I get that. Like, I, I understand why they're the rules. If I drive past a 45-mile-per-hour sign on the interstate, it's not that I can't read the sign. I'm asking, why is it 45 on the interstate? There, I don't see any construction around here. Uh, there is not a wreck. There, there's not a major spill of toxic chemicals up ahead. So why is it 45? Can we get together and can we, can we maybe bump this to 55, maybe 60, 65? Like, that would be more realistic for our surroundings right now. Then... I get told, well, you know, the world's not going to stop spinning off its axis just because kids can't take visits. Yeah, you're right. I, I got news for you. The world's not going to stop spinning if college football disappears entirely. Again, it's hyperbolic. Like, there's, there's no substance to that. The world wouldn't stop spinning if I took away your paycheck for the next month. The world would go right on about itself. No one would really care. You would, though. Because now it affects you personally, and there was no reason for your paycheck to be taken away. It just got taken away. Hey, someone passed a rule, no paycheck for you, so your paycheck gets taken away. Well, world's still spinning. Uh, all of a sudden, though, we're really upset, aren't we? So I don't, there is no pragmatic, practical, logic based reasoning to me that's been given so far why this stuff can't happen. And by the way, I guarantee you some of these folks will be the same ones quiet come signing day when the transfer portal is being hit up to an even higher degree percentage-wise than it is right now. And you got even more high school kids who were borderline or, or may have just been able to get in as the number 22 or 23 player in like a, a G5 caliber class. Those kids, where are they going now? Like where, and, and football could have been their only shot, by the way. Football may have been their plan A, and in the blank of plan B, there is no plan B. And you can criticize them all you want to for that there are thousands of kids who meet that qualification and criteria every year. They end up getting scholarships and they change their lives forever. So again, world's still going to be on its axis. I want you to look those kids in the eye and tell them that. So, so we can operate under this assumption that everything will be fine. We'll get visits in June or July. And even though we've disrupted a year and a half to two years of this cycle, it'll all work out for the 2020 class, which is garbage, which is a pile of you know what. 
But I'm not one of those kids, okay? So it's still not going to impact me. I just look at this entity and these bodies that claim to be all about what's best for the student athlete, and yet no one's really asking them, you know? No, no one's hitting them up when we're dealing with matters that directly pertain to what's in the best interest of the student athlete. Now, here's why I don't think you've heard more voices on this. This is a reality, too. You know, I had, um, I think it was Bud, or Bud Elliott, who came in last night and said, you know, it's not the NCAA. It's university presidents, really, that are to blame here because a lot of them, and this is a cold, hard reality, a lot of them don't really mind all that much, this current situation. See, not everyone out there is Florida or not everyone's LSU or Texas A&M. A lot of them out there understand they're saving a lot of money. And right now the status quo is no one can do anything. And that's great because, you know, that means the big spenders who would be able to run circles around us in terms of budgetary um, resources that we don't have, well, they can't do it right now. So a lot of them very quietly sitting over in the corner with their sweater vest on and, um, you know, wine glass held underhanded. They love what's happening right now. And so that is the rubber stamp that the NCAA is being handed to move this thing to May 31st. The other thing that's in play and you'll never get them to admit this publicly, is there are some coaches who are just fine with this too. Because you know what a lot of coaches would really prefer to be able to do in March, February, March, and then after spring ball? You know what they'd really love to be able to do? Vacation. They'd really love to get the same amount of vacation that you and I get, uh, you know, get paid 9,000% of what we get paid, but they really love to vacation more. Now, right now, we're showing you Dabo Swinney. We're showing you Nick Saban, B-roll of those guys. Uh, they probably wouldn't. But, you know, I mean, they're also on top of the sport. There are some other programs that, you know, they'd like to take a little time off. And the only reason that they can't do it right now is because they know they'll get outworked. And there are enough coaches in the room that will work 366 days a year if you let them. So you got some presidents who like it, some presidents who hate it. you got some coaches who like it, some coaches who hate it. But that's not who I'm doing the segment for. I haven't mentioned them until the very end. I'm talking about the high school players, specifically class of 2022. If you're looking out for their best interest, then what a president thinks doesn't really matter to me. What a coach thinks doesn't really matter to me because you can allow things. You can remove some of those barriers and then everyone can just make their own choice. If you don't feel comfortable, don't do it. If you want to go for it, then go for it. But allow them to make their choice. Right now, they don't have the choice. So that's my beef. Let's move on. Uh, we got mood trackers still to come, by the way. We're going to do Arkansas tonight. We're going to do Florida State tonight. And the reason we're doing them is because you have asked for them. I got a lot of North Carolina today. I got a lot of Notre Dame. Uh, so those are coming. Trust me, those are coming. We haven't done Alabama yet, by the way. Uh, that one's coming too. It's not hard to figure out, but that one's coming. But let's talk about 2020 because I think we got fooled and I think we're still being fooled in many different areas. So we are dealing, I think, as we enter 2021, spring and then the prediction season, there's this dangerous confluence of factors out there. It could victimize you, especially if you wager on college football or especially if you make very bold proclamations. You know, if you're the first to talk and the last one to shut up at the water cooler, this could really victimize you. The confluence of events, they are as follows. Number one, we're in kind of a snap judgment culture to begin with, football and otherwise. So it doesn't seem to me like people really sit back and prop one of their legs up, put their hands on the back of their head, and just take a healthy inventory of the landscape. Everyone's got to react just like that. You got to have a take just like that. Uh, we don't always do it on this show, but by and large, I mean, think about what I'm talking about. Everyone knows what they think as soon as they see something. And second, we just had a season that was disproportionately impacted program to program by covid and it's been this very broad, generalized 50,000-foot take that you've heard out there a hundred times at this point that, well, everyone had to deal with it. 
That's true, but this was not a thunderstorm that two teams played in where they truly were proportionately impacted. If you had 17 kids get sick and I had 38 get sick, if you had no coaches get sick and I had seven of them get sick, we were disproportionately impacted. And so over the course of six games or eight games or 12 games, however many we played, our results could have been disproportionately reflective of how much or how much we weren't impacted by COVID. So think about all those things coming together because all you have to go on in 2020 is what your eyeballs saw, right? So you saw some programs woefully underachieved. You saw one of them overachieve. I'm about to talk about all of them in a second, but I'm not telling you, nor am I telling myself, ignore 2020. What I'm simply saying is we need to take it into its proper context and we need to properly weigh it. So let's talk about Penn State first off, because this one by 100 miles is the one that my eyeballs and attention eventually go to. 11 and 3, let me just read you their final four records up until this past year. 11 and 3, 11 and 2, 9 and 4, 11 and 2, and then they go 4 and 5. Have you thought recently, until we just started talking about them now, have you thought recently about the prior four years at Penn State? When I ask you your opinion on James Franklin, Penn State, Have those last four years entered into the equation in the last couple of weeks, or has your mind gone right back to this past year? Because this past year was a disaster by pretty much every metric. In fact, I didn't think that they would win four games at one point. And so do you even remember the prior four years? And I'm asking you this, what is the real Penn State? Who is the real James Franklin? Is it the guy who was going 11, 11, 9, 11 wins, or is it the four and five guy? And I would just I would just humbly suggest to you, we, we may need to lean a little bit more towards averaging double-digit wins over the past four years, being in contention for the Big Ten Championship more often than not, than four and five. They had a new offensive coordinator last year at the worst possible time. As it turns out, no one was set up to install a new offense or a new defense uh, you know, and have any kind of any kind of result that was on par with what people expected. Let's put it that way. Their best player, Micah Parsons, opts out with all the COVID stuff that was happening. They then lost their top two running backs. That was going to end up being the focal point of their offense. And so they they lost one of the most important mechanisms, two of them actually, that were going to be instrumental in their offensive success. And then they had a bunch of internal stuff going on too. I know that you don't really care about hearing about people's family problems and about you know James Franklin having to you send his family to Florida to get out of that mess. It, it was a reality. And it's not an excuse because he's not sitting here. I'm making it for him so I can make excuses. But here's what I'm asking. I'm asking, is it wise? You know, if we had to put money on the line and guess what or predict and bet on what Penn State's going to be 2021 and beyond, is it really wise to let that be our default? Because that's not going to be, I'm just telling you ahead of time, that's not going to be my default for Penn State. So love the hire of Mike Yurcich. But then again, I thought I loved the hire of Kirk Sorocket, offense coordinator. So Remains to be seen, just the old ellipsis, dot, dot, dot on that. But James Franklin, you know, Tennessee came after him hard. And I'm not saying that it it should be a great big pat on the back or anything, that he chose to stick it out with his current contract. They pay him a ton of money. But at the very least, you understand the reinvigorated nature. You you have now confirmed that he wasn't looking for a way to get out of there. So all those like really back of your mind sort of worries, those should be alleviated. And they got a really good roster. I mean, you could argue they got one of the best rosters that they've had up there under him. So I expect Penn State to bounce back immediately this year. I think 2020 will be a blip on the radar screen. Now, LSU, out of all the decks of cards with all these teams, this is one with the most wild cards in it. I don't know how many are supposed to be in there, but they got like 15 or 20. 2020 was impossible for them. As it turns out, we didn't know it at the time. We had our suspicions. But as it turns out, when you take into account everything that was kind of thrown into the pot and stirred together, 2020 was going to be impossible for them. So 
on top of the COVID situation, you throw in making some bad hires. Uh, one, incredibly bad hire defensively, and then touting that bad hire uh, did Ed Orgeron in the middle of camp. Off-field issues, and this was a little bit different than the Penn State off-field variety, they lost like 30 to 35 somewhere in that neighborhood. They lost that many players off of what had been the 2019 team, which is just a spectacularly incredible number. Shay Dixon over on Go247.com just had this running tally of here's the list of guys that were on last year's team that aren't going to be on this year's team. Now, they had a bunch of them drafted, but that, was just, that wasn't even half. The guys who left for graduation or draft, it ended up not even being half of the total amount of players. So they had an entirely new roster. Forget the term team. They had an entirely new roster. Then on top of that, keep in mind, of course, you're replacing, to me, you're replacing your OC and your DC. You are replacing a generational Heisman winning quarterback. And also, I mean, they had the general complacency concern that any national champion has. And so who in the world was going to handle that? Uh, Ed Orgeron didn't handle it. I don't know if the best in the game would have handled it. Like I would love to see, I would love to have seen the best coaches in America be given that set of circumstances. You could argue back, well, the best coaches in America in some cases would not have allowed their team to be caught in those circumstances. I get what you're saying there. So, so I'm going to, I'm going to put that point to the side for a second. Here are the questions. This is what's going to determine things with LSU. Number one, ultimately, is Ed Orgeron the right guy here? I think this is a really loaded question. And number two, and this is non-football, really. This is just the off-the-field stuff in general. I mean, investigations are going on right now that none of us are equipped to have any kind of inside information on. And so that's ultimately going to be the answer. There are a lot more than just, can they bounce back on the field? Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. CBS Friday, TV's hottest show is Fire Country. I'm not a hero. I'm in orange for a reason. They're taking 12 months off your sentence. You're free. Lady. With a special epic season finale. Now that I'm out, I need something to get me up in the morning. You are a firefighter. Used to be. That will be unforgettable. In the name of your life's happiness, go get your girl. She's getting married tomorrow. Says, when do you let anything get in the way of what you want? The Fire Country season finale, Friday, 9, 8 central on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus. How about Wisconsin? Now, this one's kind of off the radar. Like Penn State, LSU, those are well-publicized. Wisconsin, they opened the season against, I believe it was Illinois. I think that was like a Friday night game. And they just pasted them, man. They threw them right into a wood chipper. And then that was it because then COVID hits Wisconsin really hard, and they never got their team back. And specifically at the wide receiver position, they really never got their team back. So you're watching them in, in a standalone game, as we call it in our business. They, it, it's the only game on. Everyone's watching it. It's opening week. And Graham Mertz and Wisconsin had about the most flawless half of football offensively that you've seen Wisconsin have in a long time. And so everybody was talking about it. Everyone was excited. And then it's just like this preview. And then the tickets to the movie, well, all right, never mind, they're sold out. So no one gets to see what we thought we were going to see. COVID and injuries really took away what I thought could have been a top 10 caliber team this past year. Now, 
they have coming back and infused into their roster the two best recruiting classes they've had in a long time up there, specifically under Paul Christ. Okay, that's that's the bedrock. That's the foundation right now of this roster. Jim Leonard, defensive coordinator there, had a shot, had an offer to be the Green Bay Packers defensive coordinator. Okay, there's really nothing hidden here. It, it wasn't just like a cotton candy floated out there. It's not reality. Dude turned down Green Bay for Wisconsin. And so that's not a small thing. That's not a small thing at all. They got a really good roster. Quarterback is probably more stable than we've seen at Wisconsin in quite a while. And when I say stable, I don't mean just knowing who's going to be there. I'm talking about probably a little higher physical ceiling and potential, offensive potential. And listen, the skill spot last year, man, like they were, they were not bad at wide receiver, but then they didn't have those guys on the field for either injury or COVID-related reasons. Remember, they handled it differently in the Big Ten than they did maybe in the SEC or the ACC. So keep an eye on Wisconsin. Aside from the obvious reasons, it's always a nice little solid program, but they've made some staff changes, changing the way they handle coaching in the secondary, for example. Just some some tinkering going on there. I think Paul Chris knows they're probably under the radar, and he wants me to shut up right now because he wants to keep it that way, so I will. Lastly, the USC Trojans. Now, this is a different one. This is sort of the inverse. Take the hourglass, turn it upside down, because USC, can you remember what your expectations were for them? I know the Trojans fans out there can. When we're entering 2020, keep in mind, it seems like it's been a decade now that we've entered every season with Clay Helton on the hot seat, right? And so then they enter, and they're not really you know, blowing folks out, but they just keep winning games. And every game that they win, it's like you feel like you come out of it and you say, oh, they might as well have lost that game. Well, that's not really the way record-keeping works in this sport or any other. However, with the way the Pac-12 schedule was structured, it's you got into the quarter pole of the season, what would be normally the quarter pole of the season. Well, the season's almost over by that point. And so I remember a couple of times sitting at this desk, Director Colin had to catch me because I, I was saying, you know, down the stretch, if USC doesn't get better, and it's like, man, they got one game left on the regular season. And so they, I think they went 5-1. and one. They played in the Pac-12 championship game, and the conference did them no favors in handling that entire week leading up. But, hey, Larry Scott era, rest in peace. Uh, there's a potential reversal here, though, because you see – what 2020 could have potentially done is just bought Clay Helton a year's worth of time that otherwise a regular season wouldn't have bought him. Well, now recruiting looks really good. Recruiting had fallen off a cliff. They finished like lower than 50th, and it was inexplicable at the time. But then they are top 10 in this, this current class, the 2021 class, and they landed the number one player in the country per the 24-7 sports composite. And so like things look good all of a sudden. And it's they're going to enter the season, and some people have them ranked inside their top 15, and it's like, what, what, what are we supposed to think about USC? And so last year, I don't necessarily know if it fooled us on USC as much as it kind of bought Clay Helton maybe a year that otherwise he wouldn't have gotten. So, you know, I'm, I'm higher on Penn State, it seems, than the general public is right now. Maybe a little higher on LSU than the general public, because that's a tough taste to get out of your mouth, how bad they were last year. Wisconsin... I think come preview season time, everyone will have Wisconsin comfortably in the top 15, maybe still a little bit low on them. But USC, man, that one's just a question to me. That was a, It's a total question to me, and I think it's a total question even to a lot of the folks who cover the program and a lot of the fan base out there. Rolling on, there's one program there that I did not mention that should be on the list, but the reason I didn't mention them is because I am doing, uh, well, their own segment tonight, the Mood Tracker. How about the Florida State mood tracker? This one's been in very, very high demand over the last couple of weeks. So I go over to Knowles247.com today, as I often do when I know I'm going to do a program's mood tracker on Late Kick that night, and I say, give them to me. Let me know. 
Got to pass FCC regulations, of course, but give them to me. What is your mood? One phrase, one sentence, one word even that sums up how you feel about Florida State football. Now, of course, several of them were sexual in nature and therefore cannot make air, but we had some the cautious optimism, that's always the go-to. Everyone's cautious optimism, that's always the number one. But then I had uprising, upward trajectory, prayerful. We had quite a few that were seeking divine intervention for this upcoming season and beyond. So here's where I've gone with Florida State. Florida State is in what I like to call Forrest Gump mode right now. It's not the first time that we've used this. Here's the problem. you got to write it in all caps, which Forrest Gump? Because we've got many different Forrest Gumps out there, as you well know if you've seen the blockbuster film. So you got like the, you can't see here, Forrest Gump. You got the, your mama sure cares about your schooling, son. You got that Forrest Gump. You got the getting the leg brace stuck in the sewer drain pipe. You got that Forrest Gump. They're not there. I don't think it's quite that dire. But they're also not the All-American at Alabama playing for Bear Bryant Forrest Gump. They're not the war hero, you know, world-class ping-pong player, gazillionaire Forrest Gump. They're not quite that guy either. Here's where they are. They're in sort of that run forest run mode, but are they on the side where he's getting pelted in the back of the head with rocks or are the knee braces about to break off and he's going to run like a 4-1 flat? He'd dominate if he went to the combine in Indianapolis. Florida State football seems to be somewhere in there. Let's cross our fingers that the knee braces are starting to come off and it's just time to look up at the sky and now anything's possible and then the inspirational music starts playing in the background. There goes Robin Wright in the distance, by the way. She sure changed when they put her on House of Cards. But no major program was dealt a tougher, there was no, let me put it this way, there was no major program with any kind of expectation and tradition that was dealt a tougher hand than Florida State was in 2020. Because not only did they have a new coaching staff in place, which in and of itself made everything pretty much impossible, they had a terrible culture down there to overturn. So you got a new staff that comes in, and then you're told, hey, we're shutting everything down. So, I mean, you can't be face-to-face with anyone. Like you got to use something called Zoom that you may or may not have heard of to this point. But you're going to have no spring. You're going to have very truncated install periods, and what you have is going to probably be virtual. And you're, you had no shot at Florida State to even develop a culture or to even build a team. Think about just the basic tenets and pillars of what makes a football team instead of a collection of players. They had no shot there. And so immediately, as we look forward now, because 2020 is just like, a lot of people called it year zero. I think that's a really good way to phrase it. Yes, Mike Norvell was the coach here. Yeah, yeah, they had a season. I don't really know that we can take much away from it. So that was year zero. Now now let's look at year one and beyond. They got roster holes still. Uh, They've got a very young but, but promising nucleus of players. And he, being Mike Norvell, has really taken a headfirst dive into the philosophy of let's fully leverage the transfer portal. Like we understand what the deal is here. We know that as as dire the situation is as we inherited, no one wants to hear about it. They, they want to give us maybe a season and then we need to win. And so there's all that. But then there's this kind of low-key confidence as you look at the transfer portal additions that they've already added to this roster. I mean, that's not a short list, folks. If you're watching on YouTube, that is not a short list. But I also want to tell you, now here's the undercurrent. Here's where I don't really know if I've bought in quite yet. There is a feeling amongst some people in Florida recruiting circles that Mike Norvell and his staff may end up being the best high school recruiting staff in the state of Florida out of the big three. Now, some of you rightly probably shaking your head at that right now because we certainly have not seen that put into practice. It's way too early to know if there's validity to that. I'm just saying there are some people down there when you talk to them who say, watch out. I know they're hitting up the portal right now, and I know that they haven't been able to get out on the road and uh, you know establish 
themselves in, you know, the classrooms and, and offices of high school coaches and guidance counselors and players all up and down, you know, the, the space coast and in the panhandle everywhere you have to get in Florida. No, they haven't done that yet. There is a feeling amongst some people who have been around Mike Norvell and his staff, they could end up doing that. It looks like there'll be a portal staff right now. Maybe that's just out of necessity. Maybe that changes in the future, but there's confidence there. Let's just put it that way. There's confidence about their ability to recruit any way they need to. There's confidence about the staff and there's confidence in the offensive direction. I mean, very few people have doubts that when Mike Norvell has things running the way he wants to, they're going to be a good offensive team. Is that enough to win alone? No, Uh, but do you need it to win? Yes, you do. So Florida State, here's the thing to keep in mind this year and beyond. They're going to have to win some big games. Now, I know that sounds obvious, but here's the reason it's really imperative for Florida State. There's no one left on the roster that has been a winner at Florida State to any kind of national acclaim. Because the last four years in order have been 7-6, seven and 5-7, six, 6-7, and, seven, six and seven, and then 3-6 and six in an abbreviated season last year. No one knows what it's like to win big there. Currently on the roster, no one knows what it's like to win big at Florida State. So, unfortunately, this is not like at LSU where they just had one down year. And then it's right back, and some of the players from the national title team who saw the way it was done there, they're still there. Florida State doesn't have that. So, And in some ways, you're kind of building an identity, hopefully a championship culture from scratch. But here's the other thing you got to do. You you got to, if you're in that program, you got to keep your eyes on your program. If you're a Florida State fan, you can afford to keep one eye on the program, and then you're watching one eye down in Miami. Miami's won, what, uh, four in a row before that Florida State had won seven in a row. You can't afford to let Miami put distance between you. Clemson already fits that description. You can't let another program put distance between you because here's where it needs to stand. And it's inexplicable that it has stood here, but yet fact of the matter is ACC is what it is. There are no other programs that have truly started to pull away. North Carolina looks really good. How long do we need to see it before we know it's it's there to stay? Miami's doing some good things right now. Pasted you last year. Do we know that it's here to stay? I'm a big believer in Bronco Mendelhall and the future of Virginia haven't done it quite yet to the degree where you say that's a bona fide number two contender in the ACC. So it's still there to be had. You just got to go get it. There's a nice little pause and we'll move on. So I save this one for the end uh, because believe it or not, the most requested mood tracker that we've had has been Arkansas and I put it off, but I can put it off no longer. It is time. Arkansas mood tracker. I went a different direction on this one. I also hit up the Arkansas board today. Got a lot of good suggestions on mood. Cautious optimism abounded there. But there's also, here's what's fun about Arkansas. There's there's this rogue nature about Arkansas right now. And it's due in large part to the way they just got treated by the conference. And it seems like the entire world this past year. I'm about to talk about that. But my mood for Arkansas right now is uh, what I have termed Russian satellite energy. Now, this has actually nothing to do with Russia, but it does have a lot to do with the movie Armageddon. Remember when all hope seemed to be lost in the movie Armageddon? Spoiler alert, it's only 20 years old for those of you who haven't seen it. When all seemed to be lost and Gracie was never going to see Bruce Willis again and Ben Affleck and they were just going to die and then everyone was going to die. It was just going to be a whole bunch of death. It was a global killer, as Billy Bob Thornton said. And then all of a sudden, there's this some guy, he's, he's working at NASA, he's like fifth string, he's probably making under a quarter million a year, so basically ramen noodling his way through life, and he says, hold up, finger in the ear, I, I got some magic happening, I'm bouncing a signal off a Russian satellite, and all of a sudden, there's Bruce Willis. All of NASA had lost communication with the shuttle, but then we just 
oh, we just have to bounce a signal off a Russian satellite. And there's Bruce Willis, and he gets to tell his daughter goodbye. I'm about to have to blow up this asteroid and save the world. Well, how in the world does that tie into Arkansas football? Well, I want you to think about something this last year, because it all seemed lost for Arkansas. First off, already you had a new coaching staff coming in, and this is not the end of 2020, mind you. This is not revisionist history time. Very few people believed in Sam Pittman when he got there. And there were questions amongst some of the fan base when he got there. They love Sam Pittman. As a personality, they love him. He, he fit the culture. They all knew that. We all knew that. You didn't even have to be an Arkansas fan to know that. But there was a question of, is this guy the right guy to help us compete in the most rabid and toughest conference in America, the toughest division in the toughest conference in America? And then, not only do you have that, of course, like any other new staff out there, you're dealt a crippling blow with the entire COVID situation, and no one really takes it easy on you. And then the SEC says, oh, by the way, Sam, is that your name? Sam Pittman? Yeah, cool. We're going to give you a new schedule, and we're going to have you play uh, Alabama, Georgia, and Florida, and the Chiefs, and the Patriots, and, and pretty much everyone else. Have fun. Oh, and by the way, don't think for a second that you're going to actually win any of these games. Well, in Arkansas... They got kind of bold, and they said, you know what? Like, we're, we're going to undo the top three buttons, and we're going to go beat Mississippi State. And then we're going we're gonna to go beat Auburn. And the SEC said, no, you're not. You're not going to beat Auburn. You may think you've got Auburn beaten, but we're overturning this call, and we're overturning the game in the process. Go home. Go home. And so all seemed lost. Okay? World's about to end. Aforementioned metaphor to Armageddon. And then you just start bouncing that signal off the Russian satellite. And we just, we got some magic happening. And it, Arkansas was competitive the whole year. And they go three and seven, which, which doesn't sound impressive to an outsider. Well, that's fine. Be an outsider. But if you're on the ground in Fayetteville, you understand how low the expectation level was. There were people out there floating an over-under win total of one and a half for you. So you win three, but I don't just want to talk about the three that they won. You know, they also lost, I think it was, they lost three more games by a combined seven points. So, I mean, that was a really competitive team all year. They didn't challenge Alabama. They weren't supposed to challenge Alabama. But this is their this is their schedule, and this is their record last year. Look late in the year. I mean, they lost by three to the defending national champ. They had a wild game at Missouri. We were victimized in the pocketbook by that one. 50 to 48. This was really competitive. They played Texas A&M, 42-31. This was a competitive team all year. And you know what it's done? It's frustrated some SEC fans, and it reminds me a lot of Miss, not Mississippi State, Michigan State. Arkansas starting to remind me a little bit of Michigan State under a guy named Mark D'Antonio. Hasn't been all that long ago. You guys remember. Michigan, Ohio State out-recruiting Michigan State every year. Michigan State is a team that's supposed to know their role, and they're supposed to be a nice, scrappy, competitive bunch, but they're ultimately supposed to take their two or three touchdown loss, go back to East Lansing, you can win your out-of-conference games, go challenge Iowa or Minnesota, but you're not supposed to challenge the big boys. And Mark D'Antonio turned that entire dynamic, especially the Michigan-Michigan State dynamic, but in some years, even the Michigan State versus Ohio State with Urban Meyer dynamic, it was like watching someone try and defeat a bowling ball with a flamethrower. That's what it looked like a lot of times in the Big Ten, because you had this team full of two- and three-star no-names, and then you got a litany of guys who are about to go in the first and second round of the draft, and Michigan State just won. They just found these ugly, hideous ways to win, and people in the Big Ten got mad because... We don't care if you try hard. We don't care if you're a nice, solid story. You're not supposed to be winning these games. Like, we don't want you in the spotlight. It's just Michigan State. We need these big brand names in the spotlight. 
That's what Arkansas started to be on the precipice of doing last year. Not against Alabama, in the end, not against Georgia, but they started to knock on some doors that they're really not expected to knock on, not supposed to knock on. Now, here's the key moving forward. Will Sam Pittman maintain that identity and be able to maintain that theme? Because there was no big secret about Arkansas in 2020. This is kind of what gives me a little bit of optimism. There was no threading of the needle. There was nothing overly fancy. I don't think that very many opposing staffs stayed up late, you know, the, the night before they're playing Arkansas, pulling their hair out, trying to, uh, trying to figure out what they're doing schematically. It was none of that. It was just they kind of had a, a sum greater than the individual part sort of bowling ball mentality. And, and now offensively, the style was far from that. But I'm talking about collectively, philosophically. That's kind of what it was. That's what it has to be in the future for Arkansas. But here's what has a lot of their fans excited. This is exactly how they want to go about it. They refuse to know their role, and they exist in their own ecosystem. See, for a while, you know, when they brought Brett Bielema in, it was ludicrous because they brought him in, and they basically tried to bring in someone who could try and out Alabama, Alabama. Well, that's stupid at Arkansas. You're not going to do that. So you got all the incentive in the world to do it a different way. Exist in your own ecosystem there. Don't be part of the SEC East or West or SEC as a whole. Don't try and do a version of what they do. Just do Arkansas. Just be you and refuse to know your role. Number one, if you do it, the fan base will love you for it. They went three and seven this past year. Entire fan base is jacked about the future of the program. You got some programs that put up a better record and they'll struggle to sell tickets this upcoming year, even if stadiums are open to full capacity. So, Love where Arkansas is, because even if you're not buying them to make a certain caliber bowl game, that's not an easy out. I can tell you right now, there are a lot of programs of greater acclaim, let's just say, in the SEC that the big-time programs would rather face. They had to play this Saturday than Arkansas. Records don't reflect it, but the attitude collectively of the team reflects it. Now, lastly, before we move on and close the show, actually, I want you to pay attention to this. Sam Pittman, pretty quietly, has made some staff moves up there. It's because of recruiting. They just locked up uh, a class that was way better than I thought they'd lock up, to be brutally honest with you. It was, it was, I thought they'd be floating in the 30 range, teens, 20s range. So good for Sam Pittman. The guy's going to recruit. I, I don't have any doubt about that. Uh, they've made some moves on the staff to up their recruiting game more. They know what they have to do. Like they know, you know, you're not going to bubble gum and paperclip your way through the SEC West, but they know if we get a certain caliber athlete here, we don't have to beat Alabama for a lot of kids. Let's just get in the ballpark. And then we're going to put us, we're going to put Arkansas in them, and it's going to be good enough. I don't know how. Don't ask me. We may get outgained by 100 yards here and win by three. We may turn it over twice and still win by seven over here. We're going to find ways to win games because, you know, from Sam Pittman's perspective, we're Arkansas. That's what we do. We're done because we got to drive home now in a blizzard. So that's what we're going to try and do. Really appreciate you watching tonight. Remember, uh, just a little experimentation here. Let's try and get that Twitter count over 13,000 at Late Kick Josh, by the way, on Twitter. When we get there, whether it's tomorrow or three weeks from now, we're going to do something really fun. It's going to be experimental. It could go off the rails horribly. It could be a hit. We'll see. But the only way to do it is to get us there. So get us there and we'll try it out and you will be heavily involved. Uh, make sure you subscribe to the channel and also click the like button. Likes help us more than anything. I, I love the subscriptions. Likes help us more than anything. Stay safe wherever you are. If you're living in Florida, if you were the blessed few, 
please feel sorry for us. That's all we want. We want people to feel, we just want the credit and none of the blame and we want people to feel sorry for us. And that's probably going to be one of the first late kick t-shirts when the merch line finally rolls out. For Director Emeritus Colin, for our entire crew up in Connecticut, I'm Josh Pate signing out. Have a great and safe start to your week and God bless. Baseball season is in full swing, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Stample, every weekday as we recap every player from every game. We'll talk waiver wire ads, drops, players to trade for, prospects who could make an impact, and everything in between. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found.